Good evening, and once, welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Jeff Hayden. I'm joined in the studio tonight by my co-host, Emmy-nominated legal and political analyst Dean Johnson. This weekend, over 250,000 people will, depend, will descend upon San Francisco for the annual Folsom Street Fair, where they will celebrate and live out their wildest fantasies. And as we shall learn tonight, living out those fantasies can be liberating and even therapeutic. And it's all in fun, except when it's not. You see, there's a serious side to kink. Those who explore without the proper information and guidance can be put at risk for emotional, physical, and yes, even for legal damages. So tonight we plan to give you some guidance so that if you're exploring this area, you can do so safely, sanely, without fear of being hauled into court, without facing criminal prosecution. Yes, that's criminal prosecution. Tonight's topic, between consenting adults, kink, consent, and the law. Dean? Good evening, everyone. You know, our listeners, Jeff, should really pay attention tonight. Statistics tell us that about 80% of you entertain fantasies that are considered, quote, kinky, unquote. And you know who you are. About 25% of you regularly act out those fantasies. And as Jeff correctly said, a quarter million of you will be acting out those fantasies in public this weekend. It's all good, clean fun. And we assume that what goes on between consenting adults is nobody else's business. But it ain't necessarily so. Think this through, dear listeners. When the police appear, when people appear in public dressed as puppies or infants or police officers or tie one another up and strike each other repeatedly with blunt instruments, there are going to be legal issues raised. In fact, we decided to present this topic tonight because of two cases that I encountered in my law practice in which couples participated enthusiastically in kinky relationships. In each case, one partner suddenly decided that the relationship was not consensual, and the other partner wound up doing some significant time in state prison. So tonight, we offer you some guidance for those of you who are exploring this side of yourself on how you can do so safely, sanely, and legally. Jeff? Something tells me that a lot of you will want to join in this conversation with your comments and questions. So give us a call at 415-841-4134. Again, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, call us on our dime. That's 866-798-8255. That's 866 866- Seven nine eight, eight two five five, but we ask you to please bear these things in mind. First, our guests here tonight are to educate and inform, perhaps entertain. They can't provide legal opinions or psychological advice on the air. Every case is different. They're here to help. They're here to educate, but they can't give you specific advice on a particular case. Second. Tonight's show may include some graphic references to sexual situations. If you're offended or disturbed by such references, this might not be the right night for you to tune into this show. And lastly, the expressions 
that the opinions expressed on tonight's show are not necessarily those of KALW, of NPR, of the Bar Association of San Francisco, or the San Francisco School District, or of any of our guest employers. And please, finally, please keep it civil, keep it adult. Feel free to call in. We would love to hear from you. Dean? Our guests tonight have devoted their professional lives to helping people navigate the psychological, social, and legal issues surrounding alternative lifestyles, kink, fetishes, and BDSM. Dr. Anna Randall is a Bay Area psychotherapist and sex therapist and the co-founder and executive director of the Alternative Sexualities Health Research Alliance, or TASHRA. She is a former board member of the Society of Janus, the second oldest BDSM education organization in the United States. Anna has a Master's of Social Work from Boston University, a Doctorate in Human Sexuality, and a Master's in Public Health from San Francisco's Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. Her research with Tashra focuses on the health and well-being of those involved in kink, BDSM, fetish, and non-monogamy. She directs a worldwide team of volunteers who are building guidelines for the informed and sensitive care of people whose erotic interests are often misunderstood and pathologized. Anna's interest in kink has been lifelong, but she came out as kinky to herself and her relationships about 20 years ago. Dr. Richard Sprott is a research psychologist in develop, developmental science and lecturer in the Department of Human Development and Women's Studies at Cal State East Bay. Richard holds a Ph.D. in developmental psychology from Berkeley. He is the co-author with David Ortman of Sexual Outsiders, Understanding BDSM Sexualities and Communities. He is also a member of TASHRA. He and Dr. Randall most recently presented a seminar for, for Tashra entitled Playing with the Boundaries of Consent, Consensual Non-Consent Scenes and Relationships. And last but certainly not least, Susan Wright founded the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom in 1997 and currently serves as its executive director. Her research focuses on consent, discrimination, and mental health among adults who practice BDSM and non-monogamy. She led the NCSF project that helped clarify that being kinky is not a mental disorder in the APA's DSM-5, which is the Bible of, psychologi of psychological analysis. And she currently chairs the Consent Counts Committee, working with the American Law Institute, on explicit prior permission for consent to kink in the revised model penal code on sexual assault. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome all of our guests. Hello. Welcome to your legal rights. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> you know, our regular listeners know that I like to start the conversation with a big question, and I'm going to do that. But first, Anna, Richard, and Susan, you know, you all work... Um, in what might be the ultimate niche area, alternative sexuality. And, you know, I, I can't help but wonder, uh, and I'm going to ask each of you, how did you get into that line of work? Richard? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, actually, there was a moment in about nine, mm, 2004, 2005, when I decided I was having a bit of a career crisis and 
which direction should I go in? I had been doing a lot of uh, child development, adolescent development, and realized that my passion had kind of waned. And I looked around and I thought, I want to do something that's uh, really edgy and that I'm passionate about. And I decided that actually adult development and uh, identity development, sexual identity development was it. And so I started doing a number of different research projects and studies in this area of kink studies, BDSM studies, doesn't have a clear name yet, but, um, but jumping in with two feet and discovering that um, it was wildly different. It was kind of like um, a, a frontier. There was very little support, and, uh, and yet at the same time, I thought, you know, if we examine this, we can ask the big questions about human nature, human sexuality that uh, we still don't know very much about at all. Anna. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you have a full-time practice in the area of alternative sexuality. How how did that come about? It's interesting because when you're practicing in an area that people are looking for providers to give services to, they find you. So all you really need to do is put out the word that you're actually doing something like this, and it's amazing how many people just kind of flock to you. People have tons of questions about sex, and honestly, there's not that many places to go and talk to people about it. So, you know, for me, as a, as a therapist, I was interested in, in sexuality back when I was, you know, back at Boston University and doing my grad program. But what I did is I came to it again about 15 years ago and said, I really want to do something that matters in the world and around an area around sexuality, not just social work, but an area around, social, around sexuality. And so that's how I came to it. And when I um, opened my practice, which is more than 15 years, around 15 years ago, what started happening was the people that came to me not only were just coming with regular sexual questions, but they were coming with lifestyle questions about interests that they had that they didn't feel like they could talk to most therapists about. And so for me, it really became a, a mission and something really vital to me, which is to provide services to a population of people who may find going to regular therapists a little bit strange because ther therapists often don't know very much about sex. And so for me, this is a combination of my passion around sexuality, but also my passion about providing really good therapeutic care to people. Yeah, and I know we've we've talked off air a couple of times. I understand Flash Gordon actually played a oh. role in the whole thing. Well, in my own journey, like uh -huh. my own, like I've been kinky since I was five, you know. And I'm and I'll date myself here because when I was a kid, I used to sneak down to the basement and watch TV on Saturday mornings. And in Chicago on Saturday mornings, Flash Gordon, the old series from Flash Gordon, would be shown at like 5 o'clock in the morning on, on TV, and I would watch these shows, and they were so sexy and erotic to me, even as a kid, that like now I recognize, I look back and go, wow, all those undulating bodies was really exciting to me as a kid, and the, and the whip that Ming the Merciless had, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I can go back all the way back to there. When, when I was a kid, Flash Gordon was on at 7 o'clock on, 7 a.m. on Sunday morning, and I always used to get up and watch it, but I never quite saw it that way. <laughs> 
Hey, yeah. this is why it's so interesting about kink and how many people find this even early in their lives when it really wasn't even sexual for me. It was just exciting yeah. and, and fun and, and really interesting and weird and loved it. And, and when did you know that this, I mean, as a five-year-old, you didn't know the word kink. No, not at all. When, when did you realize this was kinky? I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure that I recognized it until well into my late teens and early 20s that I didn't even know there was a name for this back then. I mean, you know, again, this is a long time ago. And I didn't realize that that this was something that attracted people. And I thought that there was something wrong with me, that I really was interested in this stuff. And I really had a lot of years of um, really not neg- really negative feelings about myself. Um, and I was raised a good Catholic girl in Chicago. And to me, it felt like somebody, like some devilish sort of character was after me. So it took a long time. It took until my well thir- into my 30s for me to start to realize that maybe this wasn't such a strange thing and that maybe other people did it and yeah. maybe I wasn't evil. You know? So your journey was very similar to that of some of your clients today. I hope so. And yeah. that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Yeah, Susan Wright. Um, you know, you, I, your bio starts with Susan Wright was the founder of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. But, you know, I'm a journalist and I think there's got to be a backstory there. What <laughs> led, what inspired the founding of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom? Well, when I first found the Kate communities back in 1991 and I started exploring. And I found it so empowering because uh, it was my first realization that I could say what I wanted and what I didn't want in my relationships. But soon after that, I was outed as being kinky and non-monogamous to an independent publisher that I was in discussions with to publish my first book. And uh, he told me that since I'm kinky and non-monogamous, that I should date him too. And I was taken aback. I refused. I actually got up and walked out of the meeting. And uh, he ended up withdrawing the offer of the contract. Uh, I mean, it was a true Me Too moment, right? And it infuriated me so much that I became an activist and a researcher. And I started working on projects. I started working on a project with the National Organization for Women to rescind their anti-SM policy. And then soon after that, I founded... NCSF, and you know, over 30 years later, that personal experience continues to spur me to do this work. Well, we're going to talk about that work in a minute, but Jeff, I think we have to break for a station word. We do for just a moment. You're listening to Your Legal Rights. Where else will you hear from one week talk about cleaning up your criminal record? The next week, talk about alternative sex and when you might be getting yourself in trouble. Followed by the following, we could giving you landlord tenant advice. It's only possible because of the good folks at KALW that makes legal advice possible. We've been doing this show for over 40 years. Hopefully, people are finding the service, getting the information that we're giving out, getting some use from it. But let me turn it over to them to tell you a little bit about helping to keep the doors open here. Thanks, Jeff. Great show, by the way. This is a lot of uh, very interesting information. And that's I mean, listen, this is the kind of stuff that you get right here on KALW. Very interesting, exploring conversations, local stories, uh, journalism that uh, really touches you and shows curated by people from the Bay, for the Bay, uh, whether it is whether it be your legal rights, State of the Bay, your call, 
uh, you know, out in the bay. I can go on and on. The Queer Power Hour, I should say. I'm in the studio, by the way, with uh, the one and only John Carroll. And I think you can agree with me. I mean, these shows, the reason we're able to put these together is through the support of you out there here in the Bay Area. We are, uh, KLW Public Media is a uh, member-supported public radio station here in the Bay Area. We We understand that uh, because we live here, because we work here, because we're part of this community, we're for the Bay, we're by the Bay, we understand it's a microcosm of lots of different communities that make up this this wonderful fabric of the Bay Area. And here on KLW, because we are member-supported, it gives us the editorial independence to do all kinds of discussions, to to program things like Your Legal Rights, so where we can have actually civil discussions and um, learn about different aspects of culture. We can all do this uh, with your support, but it's only because you make a donation right now to help support programming like what you're hearing here on Your Legal Rights. 1-800-525-9917 is the number to call. That's 1-800-525-9917. Or you can go online at KALW.org and click Donate to make your donation. We have a $25,000 challenge match that's going on right now. You can get your gift doubled by calling in, making that gift, and supporting this type of programming. And now we're going to go back to your legal rights. Indeed. But once again, the number 1-800-525-9917 or go to KLW.org and click on the donate button. And now let's head back out to Susan, to Richard, to, to, uh, to Anna, also to Dean and to Jeff for your legal rights. Take it away, Jeff. Dean? Well, you know, I promised a big question tonight, and here is the big question. You know, it seems like kink is everywhere these days. There's a popular TV series called Billions in which the protagonist runs for state attorney general. During the campaign, he reveals that he and his wife practice BDSM, and he gets elected not despite his revelation, but because of it. There are commercials on primetime broadcast television featuring a leather-clad dominatrix, or is it dominatrices? Or <laughs> You're the experts, you tell me. All right. Uh, but, I mean, they sell everything from vodka to hot sauce to pistachio nuts, so we know it's gone commercial. The movie version of Fifty Shades of Grey beat a box office record previously held by another movie that featured whipping, torture, and ritualist whipping, torture, and ritualistic bondage. Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, so my question, uh, and it has a couple of parts: is is there anything that is kinky anymore? Is kinky becoming mainstream? And if so. Does that take some of the fun out of it? <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> well, is it becoming mainstream? It certainly is becoming more visible, you know. At the same time, we, you know, the, some of the early depictions in popular media of, of BDSM or leather or kink uh, tended to be, you know, someone was a serial killer. Someone was, you know... Uh, very sick, or else it was played as a joke. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers Exit to Eden back in the 80s, but, you know, BDSM was a, was a joke. So, you know, either very dangerous people or people you would not and could not take serious. Um, it's gotten better. Um, but at the same time, that seems to me like it's very surface kind of awareness. People still don't uh, know a lot. Uh, people still think that if someone were actually doing this, that there 
maybe there is something wrong with them or maybe maybe they are dangerous or maybe um, they're just being completely silly and how could I possibly take them serious? Yeah, you know, I, I think I've said this before. The, the memes that surround kink and BDSM seem to be almost identical to to the stereotypes that surrounded LGBTQ people, say, mm-hmm. 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, I, I am old enough to remember when the San Francisco police had task force forces that arrested people for being gay mm-hmm. um, and cruised the, the, the gay clubs and did just that and deliberately ruined people's lives. And in the media, you slowly saw gay being admitted as something that existed, and then it was treated alternately as either funny, as a big joke, or as something sick, or as something criminal. And I think that that's kind of what your community is going through now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much. Dean, let me take a step back for a minute. Sure. You know, we've talked a little bit about some of the changes in society and how this is maybe becoming more mainstream and how kink is more accepted. And and, and you've laid out a pretty good parallel with what's happened with the gay community and how it went from being criminal and being uh, tormented and then gradually just seen as weird. And now, you know, happily they're accepted. But let me let me ask you about the you know, we've been talking about the community that practices kink. Maybe we should take a step back and let me ask you, and this is open to all of our guests, who can tell our listeners just what is kink? (laughs) Um, I think kink is uh, one of those things. What is it? uh, The definition of porn? Um, I'll know it when I see it. I'll I'll know know it when when I I see see it. it. I Mm -hmm. can't define it, but I'll know it when I see it. I mean, to a certain degree, I think. There is this element that kink is is I, I tend to think of kink as kind of like what you call kinky is really your attitude about things that seem strange to you. Um, so, but there is an element which I think also kink refers to um, activities, um, identities, relationships that are, are definitely stigmatized. They are looked down upon. They are framed as criminal or sick or some some expression of a pathology. So there is an element where kink is, is just that strange thing out there. Um, and so one activity, it can be kinky to one person, but to somebody else, it's, uh, it's Wednesday night. So um, it becomes really, really hard to kind of pin that one down. And I, frankly... Um, I have spent the past 15 years really just trying <laughs> to understand when people identify as kinky, what are they talking about mm-hmm. and what do they mean? Yeah. Susan, I was wondering, like, when people call you at NCSF, and especially when they're not in the, in the scene at all, how do you explain kink to them? Because I know what we do as researchers and I know what I do as therapists, but I'm wondering, like, how do you tell other people? It's so interesting because it's like Richard says, a lot of people are doing what we would consider to be kinky activities, but for them it's just their sex life. So they don't even self-identify as kinky, and that's what makes it so difficult. But for us, it's really this broad range of activities that include power exchange, which is, you know, somebody taking control, somebody giving up control for the duration of the activity. 
role play was very common, whether it's, you know, the French maid or people dressing up as pups. Um, it also can be sensation play. Uh, and that includes the, the mind, the emotions, you know, manipulating the emotions and manipulating the mind as well as the body. And I think that's what's so exciting about kink is that it goes beyond traditional ideas of what sexuality is. And can, it, it's a giant playground that we can play in. And Susan, you know, I, I, I know that the, the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom deals with stigma and discrimination, and I, I'd like you to talk about that a little bit because we now have some personal experience. Last time we put on this show and, and explored this topic, the people who produced the show and their families even experienced some discrimination. I mean, we had people who would be horrified to make a sex joke or a gay joke or a race joke in the workplace, feeling no compunction whatsoever about making jokes about kink. And we got the, so are you into whips and chains kind of remark in public. Um, so that stigma still exists, doesn't it? Oh, it does. And as Richard and Anna know, that stigma has real-world health, mental health consequences. Um, suicide ideation is, is much higher in our communities just because of that stigma uh, against us. And we can see this because, you know, when we do our, our surveys, four out of five people are deeply closeted about their sexual practices. Uh, a lot of them don't even talk to their own partners about it because it, that stigma is just so strong. And we see discrimination in places like child custody battles. If you're ever called into um, criminal court, you'll see discrimination by the judges, by the prosecutor, um, by, the, by the other attorneys, as well as job discrimination. I mean, people just get fired for this. Um, at the drop of a hat, there really is very little protections. And this stigma goes back to this false idea that we are either mentally ill, we're sick, or we're violent and criminal people. And so combating those two things have become the biggest quest that NCSF faces. Let me turn it over to our first caller tonight, uh, Dom from Fresno. Welcome to your legal rights. Thank you. And it's short for Dominic, because I don't want you to think I'm being... Funny. Um, so there are only I certain people who would get that, Dom. <laughs> yeah, okay, I know. Sorry to. to and and some of them are here. <laughs> Three of them happen um, to be here tonight. So, real quick question. So, from a from an ethical standpoint and not a legal standpoint, I believe that two, three, four, whatever consenting adults should be able to do whatever they want in private as long as it doesn't impact or impede anybody else's right to enjoying their time or whatever. But I know there are some, some laws in place that kind of preclude that mentality. Can you speak to that? And, and Dom, before I pass it on to my guests, we may not finish answering your question because it's rather broad before the station ID. I hope you'll stick with us on the phone so that we could finish this and we'll stick with you as soon as we come back as well. But let me turn it over to my guests. All right. Um, I would say that um, I, there is a certain concern. and This is, is something that 
we talk about and, and kind of sometimes worries us, and that is sometimes people engage in kink for unhealthy reasons or out of unhealthy motivations. And sometimes people do things that, um, in fact, can cause serious uh, injury or a medical complication. So your ethical question uh, kind of is sort of like, what about those situations? Are you free to consent to do something that would be sort of very grievous harm uh, to your body, to your mind? Um, are you is is it free consent if you're sort of driven by uh, a bunch of depression or anxiety that's really clouding your judgment about engaging in some things which may not be actually very healthy for you? So I love your question, and on the surface I would say yes, but there are these gray areas, um, and I think that that's where often uh, people can get into trouble. Tom, I'd like us to follow through with your question, so please stay on the line with us. You're listening to Your Legal Rights. We'll be back right after this. Thank you, Jeff. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Laurel Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. Once again, that's 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information. This is Tarek Ansari. Time is now 629. You are listening to KALW. Your legal rights will continue in just a second. In the meantime, I'm here with John Carroll, Director of Advancement here at KALW. Very nice to be with you here tonight, John. And we have something very special to talk about. Yeah, it's the last day of our full membership campaign where we're asking for your support. And we're closing in on this $25,000 challenge match. We have less than $3,000 to go to meet this match. Uh, Will you help us get there by making your donation right now at KALW.org? Or you can go online, or you can go on the phone and actually talk to a living human being at one eight hundred five two five nine nine one seven. That's one eight hundred five two five nine nine one seven to make that call of support. We want to thank a few folks already who have called or gone online to make their gift. Samuel Chan in Daly City, Paul Krakow in Belmont, Bruno Ruland in Oakland, and Victor Markowitz in Albany. Thank you so much for your support. Um, you can join them as part of the KLW family by making that gift. It can be any amount you choose, $5 a month, maybe $10 a month. Maybe you can afford $100 a month. Whatever it is, it is welcome. Your gift is valued and we appreciate it. It's your gifts that make everything possible here at KALW and we thank you for that. Your gift gives us the editorial independence to do things like your, the show you're hearing tonight, Your Legal Rights, where we're talking about alternative sexuality, uh, kink and consent in the law. And I, I, I love hearing all of this and especially I think it's very timely. Thank you, Jeff, for bringing this because it's, you know, Folsom Weekend is coming up this weekend. And so lots of Folsom folks are fair, thinking yeah. are thinking about uh, these very issues. And so thank you for bringing this. If you appreciate this type of programming, if you appreciate this type of community focus that we do with lots of different issues, call us right now. one 800 525 is the number again, or you can go online at KALW.org and click donate. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. But I think that's about it from us for now. I want to hear more about this topic. And for that, Jeff, take it away. And before I turn it over to Dean, who actually is the impetus for tonight's show and my guest, I do want to 
comment in response to Dom, your question. Um, my practice tends to be mostly in criminal defense. And one of the things that I have seen, and whether it's people that exceed the boundaries or whether it's someone that maybe practiced something more traditional, but then somebody changed their mind afterwards. And there's always the danger that somebody changes their mind and what's been practiced and leaves the other person facing a, an accusation that nothing was consensual from the very beginning. But with that in mind, let me turn it over to Dean. Well, of course, that raises one of the big issues that we want to talk about, which is whether consent is always enough. Um, and Susan is the authority on that. But first, I want to do uh, what might be called a public service announcement. Um, we have been talking about the subject matter for this show, and one of the topics that came up, and Richard and Anna actually educated me to this, there is a thing out there now which apparently is generational and very common called erotic choking. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was shocked because, you know, as a lawyer, I hear that and I start to cringe. You know, mm -hmm. it's something that sounds like it's fraught not only with uh, physical danger, but legal danger as well. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Well, erotic yeah. choking, it's interesting. Susan, I, I definitely want you to talk about it, too. Um, erotic choking is fascinating because right now, because of the the amount of information that folks hear, especially younger, younger folks, around sexuality as they're growing up, this has become a, a really popular topic and meme. And so there's been some really um, scary stuff that's come out around the fact that this is a very common practice um, around young young people yeah. who are engaging in sex I, with each I other. I kind of didn't believe it when you first started talking about it, but then I asked some of my younger friends who I hang out with at the gym, I said, have you heard about this erotic choking? One of the personal trainers came up and said, yeah, I know two or three girls who are into being choked. Uh, I yeah, I mean, this is apparently a generational thing and very common, huh? Yeah. Susan, what what did you notice about it when you've talked to people? Yeah, it, there's a lot of recent research that I think people are completely unaware of um, about prevalence. Um, Debbie Herbenick did a college campus study and found that over half of the college students that were surveyed reported that they had been erotically choked during sex at some point. Um, and as you get older, um, you know, the older the demographic, the less those numbers goes down. So it definitely has become more common, probably because you see it acted in porn a fair bit, because it can be a very dramatic thing to do. And people don't realize this is acting. They're not actually, you know, the attorneys for these companies are not letting porn stars actually choke each other. Um, so there's a misconception out there. And we're also seeing that there, people aren't even asking for consent to do this. Um, of those people who reported that they were choked, half said that they were only sometimes or never asked if they even wanted to do this. They just were having sex and then suddenly somebody was choking them, which is completely non-consensual. And, of course, the harms that we're hearing about in this um, new research, the fact that even if you don't have any marks from this, it can leave psychological damage anxiety, PTSD-type symptoms. It's an extreme thing to do, and I think it kind of relates back to the, the question that we had from Dom. And, yeah, there is limits to this. 
you, we can hurt each other. We can cause a temporary pain, which a lot of people interpret as pleasure. But you're not allowed to harm somebody, even if they say they want it. You're not allowed to harm somebody. And, and that means leaving some kind of permanent damage to, to somebody. And erotic choking can cause that. And I've been actually getting lit up by some of our listeners that aren't calling on the phones, but instead are reaching out through text or email. And they brought out some analogies. I mean, one person said that he's had a girl tell him, choke me, daddy, and really who was asking for it. And no, you can't do it. Um, another had talked about somebody who he had to tell, no, nope, put away the cat and nine tails and the cayenne pepper, and it's because of the lawyers. And the truth is, even if the person asked for it, you can put yourself in legal jeopardy, as Dean was saying. Well, one of the things when people talk about safe words, so safe words, you know, 10 years ago when I used to talk to people about safe words, I'd ask a room who's ever heard of a safe word and you'd maybe have two or three hands that go up. Now, if I talk to on a, cam a college campus and I ask about safe words, every single hand goes up, right? So even with consent, Anybody can say, I don't consent, and that could be the person who's being asked to choke. It's not just the person who's choking or being choked, but the other person may say, you know what? I don't want to do this. It doesn't feel great to me. It doesn't feel good to me. I, you know, I'd prefer not to. And so consent can go both ways. And when you're dealing with a topic like, you know, do you want me to choke you? You've got to really look into yourself and say, how do I feel about that? You know, and this is for people in the kink community and people outside the kink community because we know that there are risks with this. And one of the risks is is that you can throw a clot by just choking and, and holding somebody's carotid artery. You can throw a clot and end up two or three days later having some sort of a heart or, or stroke as a result of that. So it's, it's stuff people really need to understand that there really are risks with this. Even in the kink community, we know that. Yeah, and as I, I think I mentioned earlier, I, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I either choke or get choked about a dozen times a week, but we train for years before we do that, and we know that there are just certain ways to do it and ways not to do it, and even if you do it, um, there's potential dangers, mm -hmm. so people know to tap out before they pass out, um, but it, to the extent there's a public service announcement here, this is a very high-risk activity. Mm -hmm. um, in the kink community, that I think there's a thing called breath play, yes. But the people who do it know how to do it, and they've had some training and had some experience before they get into it. I mean, kink is the extreme sport of sex, uh, right? Okay. And so if it's the extreme sport of, of sex, it, it behooves you to train. It behooves you to get educated. And one of the things the King community does really well is that we really promote education. I mean, here in San Francisco, Wicked Grounds is one of the organizations. It's been a coffee shop, and now it's really doing a huge amount of, of, of education in the community. And I think one of the things that happens with young people is that they don't get this information around the risk and how to do things more safely. Let me circle back to Dom. Dom, you got this conversation started and I didn't know you haven't had a chance to do any follow up. Have we basically answered you, or did you have any follow up you wanted to throw out? Yeah, you guys, are, you guys are awesome. I just wanted to throw a comment since the choking thing came up. So I'm I'm in my fifties. I was dating somebody in her thirties, and she asked me to choke her, and we were talking, you know, on another occasion, and uh, she said she had broken up with her previous uh, fiance because he wouldn't choke her during sex. Mm. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to throw that in there and say it, it, it is, yeah, definitely prevalent. And um, 
um, you know, yeah, education is probably pretty important mm-hmm. and, and have those kind of discussions prior to engagement. I know it's not the most romantic thing <laughs> in the whole world, but it keeps you out of trouble. So it's I appreciate foreplay. you guys answering my it's questions. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talking about it is foreplay. And, you know, there's other ways you can do it. You don't actually have to strangle somebody. You can order them to hold their breath, you know, if they want that kind of high from it. And you can have that power dynamic. You can just place your hand on somebody's throat, and they have that, that evokes the feeling that they're looking for without the danger. So I think that's what the kink communities is great about explaining. I mean, NPSF did a survey of 4,500 people, and only one half of 1% reported that they had been seriously injured. But the problem is we're only reaching a tiny percentage of the people. There's millions of people doing this, and they are not getting this education that they need. So I'd like to ask a a two-part question, uh, and these are both big topics. First of all, you know, we saw those... 150 million or so people who saw Fifty Shades of Grey saw the protagonist negotiate a contract that laid out what they were consenting to and what they weren't. The first part of the question, is that for real? I mean, do you really do that? And the second question, primarily for you, Susan, even if you negotiate a contract and even if you get consent, that's sometimes, as my client who's now in prison found out, is not enough. Correct? That is correct. I mean, definitely we negotiate. The whole idea of doing power exchange and restraint, you need to actually talk about it first. We have a saying that if you can't talk about it, you're not ready to do it. So this is not judging something by body language or implied. You, you really do need to discuss it. And um, some people do create an actual contract. Uh, Usually that's for longer-term relationships, for the people who want that kind of dynamic. But typically negotiation is just, you know, sitting around after dinner, you know, having your glass of wine and your dessert and saying, hey, I would love to do this to you. What do you think? Oh, I'd love to do this. Uh, Or email exchanges. I mean, sometimes you see that the negotiation, what we call that, lasts longer than the actual scene. (laughs) Because we love to talk about it. We love to, you know discuss what it is we want to do. A lot of this is psychological. It happens in your mind. You want to set the stage, so you have to be on the same page. I mean, literally on the same page. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I noticed in Fifty Shades of Grey there was an elaborate written contract, yeah. but they never signed it. <laughs> so is that is that the way it usually goes? Do you say, well, let's get consent, let's get everything written down, and then you go, you know, the heck with it. Let's Let's get down and do what we're going to do. Or is it really taken seriously in the community? It, it is taken seriously, but I think in that case, Fifty Shades, they were not ready for a contract. They were ready to actually have a little discussion and maybe have a spanking scene. Uh, but they, they leaped right to the uh, sitting down at a table with their, their red pen uh, to, to, to look at the contract. Um, there are a lot of people that, that do enjoy playing that way. They enjoy having the responsibilities from both sides laid out especially if it's not just for what we call a bedroom submissive, people who just enjoy doing this as part of their sex. It kind of, if it goes into more of your life, it's a good idea to have those parameters set. And you're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden with Dean Johnson, and tonight we're discussing alternative lifestyles, kink, consent, and the law with our guests, sex therapist Dr. Anna Rondel, 
psychologist Dr. Richard Sprott, and the founder of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, Susan Wright. You still have a few minutes if you wanted to join us. Our phone number, if you'd like to call and join us on tonight's topic, is 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the Bay Area, as is Dom, who's called us and spent most of the night with us, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. You're listening to Your Legal Rights, a show only possible because of the generosity of the folks at KALW. They've made it available for some 40 years, but not covering stuff like this. This is unique, and this is because you're here with us. This is because they open the doors and help them to keep the doors open. And with that in mind, let me turn it over to, to some folks that can talk to you about that. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. Uh, very well said. And uh, you know what? It's this, uh, as I'm here with John Carroll, uh, Director of Advancement here at KALW, uh, programs like these, you know, you don't hear these kinds of programs on commercial no, radio. No, you don't. I can hear my former boss saying, <laughs> cut it now! Get out! Get out of no, the segment! Yeah, no, no, but, no. But that's what makes it so great. Like, what we do here at KALW and the local shows, like Your Legal Rights, like State of the Bay, like the Queer Power Hour, Your Call, I could go on and on, it's really unique, and it's made possible by your support. That's right. It's that it's that member support that provides us with editorial independence to do a lot of things. We don't shy away from stories here because we don't have to answer to, you know, corporate advertisers because we we are commercial free radio. You don't hear twenty minutes of commercials when you listen to an hour of KLW, and hopefully that's why you come to us because we have the ability to explore topics to have great conversations to really think about uh, issues and provide context behind them and to find, you know, uh, learn something. I mean, if you're the the kind of inquisitive person that likes to learn something every day, this is the station for you because you're going to learn something new every day. I know I do. Um, and I appreciate that. That's why I am a member. I'm a monthly member. I have it taken out of my uh, – goes on my credit card every month. When I see that, that uh, statement that says I've made a gift to KLW, I feel good about that because I know I'm supporting something within my community. I'm supporting something I believe in. I'm supporting uh, you know, the ability to hear lots of different stories and perspectives and contexts and music discovery and poets and authors and cultural events here in the, in the Bay Area. All of that is part of the fabric of KALW because we're for the Bay and by the Bay. We're part of this community. We understand it. We want you to understand it better as well. We want you to celebrate it. The best way that you can do that is by supporting us right now during our fall membership campaign when we're asking you. We only come to you a couple times a year to ask for your support, and this is one of those times. 1-800-525-9917 is the number you can call. That's 1-800-525-9917. Or you can go online at KALW.org and click Donate. Just want to thank a few folks who've called or gone online to make their gift of support. I want to thank Tom Viola in Berkeley. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Felicia Lowe in Mill Valley, Andrew Pindar in Los Gatos, and Patience Young in Palo Alto. Thank you all for your gifts. You can join the KLW family too. 1-800-525-9917 is that number, or go online at KALW.org. That's right. And now, let's throw it back for the final segment of this episode of Your Legal Rights. I'm very excited, Jeff, to hear the rest of this episode on alternative sexuality. Take it away, Jeff. I think I'm going to hand it to Dean right now to take us to our next step. I'm going to 
hand it to Susan because there's something that I think we have to discuss before we leave. Susan, you're working very hard right now on changing the law, changing the penal codes in various states so that we don't run into the conundrum that uh, my clients ran into of being in a consensual relationship and then suddenly finding themselves facing criminal prosecution. Could you tell us a little bit about explicit prior consent? things here. Um, Explicit prior permission for consent to kink is a new section in the revised model penal code on sexual assault. That's going to be published next year, 2024. And the model penal code on sexual assault was created by the American Law Institute. It's a body of judges, attorneys, and law professors who create these model codes that are used in law schools and are the basis of the laws that many state legislators adopt as law. And so explicit prior permission, there has never been um, a definition of consent for kink. In fact, all of the case law, that's you know criminal law that's been appealed, has found that consent is not a defense to the erotic use of force or restraint. And what that does is that feeds this stigma that we were talking about, because technically we're criminalized. That used to be when NCSF started, people were arrested regularly for doing consensual BDSM. And um, NCSF did a lot of education of, of law enforcement agencies around the country, and that gradually stopped. But then what happened was we can't get justice for sexual assault or assault that is done in a kink context. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the thing called like the rough sex defense. And really, basically, what that means is if somebody's kinky, uh, another person can beat them up, they can choke them, they can hurt them, and prosecutors won't prosecute because they they don't have a definition of consent, and they say, how can we explain this was consensual or not? We have no way to do that. Well, explicit prior permission is the new legal framework to be able to explain that. So tell us how that works. What is explicit prior permission, and what do you have to uh, have in order to bring that defense in court? It's truly affirmative consent. So what that means is you have to discuss what you're going to do and how intense it's going to be before you do it. You can't start doing something and then, you know, keep, oh, how about adding this in? How about adding this in? No. You have to talk about it beforehand when everybody's an adult of the sound mind and can agree. And you also have to agree on a safe word so that you can stop what's happening at any time. And as part of that, if you're going to do role play, and say things like, oh, no, don't, don't do that. Um, you have to talk about that first so that it's understood your safe word will stop what's happening at any time, or you can have a safe word that slows things down and you can check in with somebody that's commonly considered like the yellow, whereas the safe word is the red. And, um, you know, you have to lay this all out beforehand, so you really do have to talk about it first. And there are limitations, right? There can be no coercion. Um, the minors uh, can't consent and so on. Yes? Oh, absolutely. It's, um, when we say consent, it sounds so simple, but there's a lot of things that invalidate consent. If you're coerced, if somebody says, well, you have to do this or the relationship is over. Um, if you're manipulated or deceived into doing this. If you don't have informed consent, the person doesn't understand the risks that are involved in the activity. How can they really agree to do this? You also have to be a sound mind, so that means you can't be intoxicated or too drunk to drive. 
and um, you also can't you're not allowed to seriously injure somebody and serious injury as defined by law is is pretty high level things like you can't um, impair an arm or an organ like a kidney or an eye you can't leave a permanent mark so these cults that are out there branding people not allowed um, and of course you can't risk death um, or serious injury in that way which is why erotic choking does not fall under explicit prior permission so you can leave your heart in San Francisco, but that's about all you can leave behind. <laughs> you know, you know, we, we are running out of time, are we not, Jeff? We're getting pretty close. It's about I, time that... I, I would like to use, it with, with our guest's permission, I, I would like for our guests to use this time to give our listeners some concrete resources. If you're partnered, if you're not partnered, if you want to explore this area, if you want to get training on how to use the skills that that obviously people should have if they're going into uh, a kinky activity, what do you recommend? What are the do's and don'ts? Um, how can you enjoy Folsom Street safely, sanely, and legally? Um, you know, where do you go when Folsom Street's not happening? If you want to hook up with the kink community, I'm just going to leave it open to the three of you. Sure. Um, I think one of the things is that the research has really shown that when people find community, their their risk of um, everything from being somebody kind of predating them and kind of trying to kind of go after them when they're not really ready for this. Um, those sorts of things um, and safety around doing things in a, in a safe and, and, and responsible way. Um, doing things like going to community events, finding out about the King community. There's a, there is a, um, a calendar here in, this, in the San Francisco Bay Area called Arrow Bay, um, which has got all kinds of community events on it, educational events and the like. Um, going, coming to something like um, Folsom Street this weekend, there will be a lot of people that, that are there that this is a very serious and, and part of their lives and the way that they express their sexuality. So I should say, you know, we, uh, my wife and I have uh, two friends mm-hmm. who are a couple. And they actually met at Folsom Street. Mm-hmm. So if someone comes up to you, a stranger, and says, let's play, what do you look for? How do you, tr- how do you trust your new stranger partner? Richard, go ahead. Well, how do you trust your partner? Um, how do you know? There really, is, um, there really is um, a lot of people in the King community, especially if you're connected, uh, will learn that you, you do things in small steps you build up to perhaps the big fantasy you have in your head, but you got to do it uh, on the basis of like real trust. And real trust requires a lot of communication, a lot of transparency, and really uh, and small steps to build up to that. Uh, we learn that in the King community, and so there really are hundreds of small groups that do a lot of socializing, a lot of education. They're out there, um, I would say, uh, connecting with things like NCSF or TASHRA are good places to uh, get a bit more information about health and the legal issues and, uh, and some, of the, some of the research, uh, which can then inform the way that we negotiate. And obviously there are... People who are, as in any community, there are people who are going to go through abusive relationships, who are being working through trauma in these contexts. How, what, 
what can those people do? Who can who should they seek out? Well, when it comes to if you're confused about this or you're feeling really anxious about it or feel like there's something wrong with you, I think the best thing to do is seek out somebody who's experienced in this area. I um, mean, there's an uh, there is a um, website here in the Bay Area called Bay Area Open Minds that has a great many um, therapists on it who are kink um, and poly um, knowledgeable and friendly. Um, there, you know, Tashra, we educate therapists um, and medical providers on how to, you know, how to treat and, and care for people like this. So one thing that I always say to people is try and seek out somebody who really will be open to talking about this with you and somebody who has knowledge about it. Um, and NCSF has the kink aware therapist. Yes, absolutely. I'm sorry. I forgot to say, I forgot to say kink aware. Susan, talk about kink aware professionals. Yeah, the Kink Aware Professionals is a free database that you can go and look up where you live and find either mental health professionals or an attorney. And we have thousands of professionals that are willing to help uh, anybody who's having an issue when it comes to kink. The Kink Aware Professionals list is the list that people go to, for sure, around the country. And actually, I think around the world, too, right, Susan? Yes, it's international. And if if you're partnered... Mm-hmm. And you want to explore this area? How do you approach your partner? Take her, take him or her to Folsom Street, or <laughs> I think you might shock somebody that, taking that, them to Folsom Street. That, that might be a little extreme for the uh, for the first day. Yeah. Might be, might yeah. be. Yeah. yeah, you can you can actually you know read a book. A book is nice and and neutral. You know, there's wonderful books out there, and you can, it's it's wonderful. You can actually kind of say, hey, look at this, or look at something online, and mm-hmm. say. Check this out. And it's a neutral way to do it without you having to say, hey, by the way, I want to do all of this. Uh, give, us, um, give us a book title that isn't Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <laughs> there are, like, well, the ethical slut, if you definitely want to be non-monogamous, is the big one. Um, and then for, uh, we also have the Dossie Eason Topping and Bottoming book, which is just a handy little guide to kind of help you understand your responsibilities when you're taking these roles. Absolutely. Um, I think also that there are a lot of um, uh, individuals who identify as male who um, often, especially in the heterosexual community, um, get are very interested in this. And it's really important for you to get really educated about it because it's like lots of people can say I'm Mr. Domly Dom, you know, and like call me master. But I, there's more to it than just yeah, deciding the, that you're going to take that take the, that attitude. The Christian greys of the world. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He's basically a bumbling frat boy who decided <laughs> he was a dom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but one thing I think probably is worth bringing out is that what might fly in San Francisco won't necessarily fly in Bakersfield. And you have to know your local community yep. and what can happen if things go south. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the people that call Susan. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, NTSF is there to help. We, we have direct services. If anybody is having any issue, we want to hear about it. And certainly if uh, your relationship or activities have been called into question legally, contact us. Because, you know, we can help introduce explicit prior permission into your court case. It's supposed to replace the outdated case law. So we want to hear from you. Susan, we're just about out of time. Do you want to give us your website or your phone number? Sure. It's ncsfreedom.org. And you can contact me at susan at ncsfreedom.org. Thank you, and I'd like to thank everybody for participating in a very interesting, very adult conversation. You've been listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Our guests tonight have been psychologist and sex therapist, 
Dr. Anna Randall, research psychologist Dr. Richard Sprott, author of Sexual Outsiders, Understanding BDSM Sexualities in Communities, and Susan Wright, director of the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. We'll be back next week on Your Legal Rights to talk about landlord-tenant. And as always, we will take your calls and answer your questions. 